uh, that we like so much. Uh, we do appreciate these. Any kind of tool that we can get that can help people uh, understand the Word, come to a closer relationship with Christ, is an awesome thing. I'm going to read this and go through with this here real quick. And this is in chapter 2 of Revelations. I want to read to you what Jesus had to say. Now this is the Apostle John. He, was, he had been exiled to the Isle of Patmos. He was the one of the only, the only apostles that didn't die of some sort of martyrdom. Even though the, the old ancient historical writers say that he was put into a cauldron of oil and boiled and was miraculously saved and the, 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 the Romans didn't know what to do with him so they just exiled him. But let me tell you, God was putting him in a place where he could communicate some of the most important things that we could ever have said to us in all of the New Testament. So raise your ears up this morning and get ready and prepare your heart for what Jesus has to say to the church at Ephesus and what He's also going to say to us in these passages because we can seriously relate with what was going on. I want you to understand that people really don't change all that much. Those people back then were just like us today. They had families. They had fortunes. They had, they had work. They had people, they had a home, they had a job. Not really much has changed. Cultures have changed. Definitely cultures has changed. Luxuries has changed. Things of that nature has changed. But people, essentially people and their, and their trends and their personality types have not changed. Sin has not changed. We're going to find this. You can walk through the Scripture. And this is why God says He never changes. Because people, the tendency with how we tend to deal with things never changes. It never changes. Some younger people look at the older people and say, well, they just don't understand. No, it's just they've climbed the ladder a little further than you are. And you don't understand where they're at. That's called wisdom, son. That's wisdom. I used to say the same thing to my mom and dad. Well, they just don't understand us today. No, we perfectly understand where you're at. We do understand. But if we'll listen to wisdom, wisdom is a sound teacher. Wisdom is something that will keep you out of trouble. Wisdom will lead you to other places other than the pit that you fall in every time you try to do something on your own. And so we have the wisdom of the word and Jesus thought it's so important to share it with us because he wants us to keep he wants to keep us out of the grasp of the devil. And this is what it says in chapter two. And I'm going to try to go along with this. It says unto the angel of the church of Ephesus, write these things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst can't not bear them which are evil. You have to keep up with me, Oscar. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not and hast found them liars and hast borne and hast patience for my name's sake and hast labored and hast not fainted. Now that's very important to understand the word fainted right there. Thank God for the Greek in which we're going to get into in just a minute. Nevertheless, he says. Now the, the first bit of this appraisal looks pretty good. Looks pretty outstanding. Looks like Ephesus is not doing such a bad job. Nevertheless, I have something against you because you have left your first love. You left. Because thou hast left. 
Your first love. Jesus didn't lose His love for you. You left, He said for the, to the Ephesian church, you left your first love. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent, He says, and do the first works or else I will come unto thee quickly and remove thy candlestick out of his place except thou repent. Father in heaven, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for what it gives to us, Lord, and the understanding that it brings to us. Now help us to preach the word under your anointing and give us understanding and revelation knowledge and unveiling to our minds, God. And if there be one amongst us, Lord, let them come and not be afraid of your open, open invitation to their soul. And we ask this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. When you read this first account of the church at Ephesus, Jesus begins with a seemingly good remarks. Everything looks pretty good. As we go through the rest of it, it all gets swept right off of the table. So much so that even through their good works, He is telling them that I'm going to extinguish your existence unless you get this one thing right. I'm, I don't care about how your good works. I don't care about what you do. I don't care about how you approach good works. It's all about how you approach and deal with me. Whether you have the love of God in your heart that sparks you and makes you live the way that I want you to live. Or are you doing this just to do it because you know what to do? This is of the preeminence to God. Because it takes the love of God to save people. You see, feigning in verse three, I want to I want to read through this as we exposit some of this. And he says, and has borne and has patience for my name's sake and has labored and has not fainted. The word fainted in the Greek literally means to be slowing the pace. It means to be slowing down. Fainting means I feel faint. I have to slow down. That's what the Greek means when we see this word feigning in the King James Version. So what's it mean? It means that the church from when it first began has now went into a slow motion cruise control, if you will, in its service to God. It's business as usual, but their heart has slowed down in their love for the Lord. They're not doing it out of the right reasons anymore, you see. They're not doing it for that. And I can tell you there is a pandemic that we, this, this, this pandemic that's going on with COVID has created another sort of pandemic with much greater consequences than the one that you face in your human body because you do not want to experience the kind of pandemic that will make you want to slow down, go into cruise control in your fervence and service to the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not talking about your earthly existence here. We're talking about eternity here. And the more quickly we can get back to understanding that we're dealing with super spiritual things here, that then we'll get ourselves back on track. As I was listening to Jess open up the service, I, you know, and, and I look at the Big Woods Church and I see what all you have accomplished. And I went through the, the additions of the church over the years. And I think of the, of the, of the, of the, of the, of the perseverance that it took to create this church and to build this sanctuary, this beautiful place that we have to worship. When I, when I think back to the original starters of this church and the, and, and, and the, and what drove them to put shovel to ground and to begin a place of worship like that brother sitting right back there. When I think about people like Jess that's been around the church for all these decades, that's put the time in, that's visited people that's been sick, 
that's prayed for people that's lost, that's prayed for people right here, where people got saved. It took the love of God to do that. It took the love of God to make it happen and to go forward. And now it's up to the next generation to not slow down and put it in cruise control, but get with the program and get off our blessed assurance and get her done for Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. That's what we need today. That's what we need. We need the same love of God that it took that brother right there and that brother and that sister right there to keep this thing going, to go visit people in hospitals, to go do the right thing. We're not doing it out of obligation or because we're family. We're doing it because we love Jesus Christ and we're in it to win it for God Almighty. That's what we have to do. That's the, that's the idea, the mindset that we have to have. It's time to get up and get moving for Jesus Christ. It is a pandemic of slowdown. People stopped coming to church. People stopped teaching Sunday school. Had to shut things down in the church. That's, the, that's exactly this. That's exactly this. I, I tell you, I applaud the church for these things right here. Not because they just look pretty and they look good, but because they're helping promote the kingdom. They're helping promote the kingdom. I appreciate this right here so people can watch this thing that can't really come, but they can get the service and they can get the Word. That's, that's moving forward in Jesus' name. And praise God, maybe someone will get saved. We need a generation of saved people, not literate people. God doesn't necessarily want your hands and your mind. He wants your heart. Yes, we have a lot of capable people with degrees more than a thermometer. But all your smarts and all your education doesn't equate into morality. We're experiencing that in our country right now. We're the smartest we've ever been and we're the most corrupt we've ever been. We're the smartest we've ever been and we're the most immoral people we've ever been. Because it's a heart thing, not a mind thing. You get your heart right with God and God will fix the rest. He'll fix the rest. Brothers and sisters, we give total commitment. What we're seeing in this church in Ephesus, what we're seeing in, this, in the churches around America today is people will give total commitment to other things. Sports. I mean, I can remember when I was in sport. I was a three-sport person. I did karate, I did baseball, and I did football. And I remember I would torture my body in order to get ready to play the opponent team coming up that week. I would go out and I would give total commitment every single day. What I ate, what I ran, what I did, my lifting program, every single thing I did. I'd go into film study of every, per, every opponent to know their tendencies, to watch them, to know when they lined up on the line in front of me when I was playing linebacker, if he put his right hand down or put his left hand down or his right foot was back or his left foot was back or he was standing to one side or another, I knew what was going to happen in that play. I gave total, utter commitment to that why can't the church do that for Jesus Christ today be totally committed to Jesus Christ and winning souls to God brother that's what we need total and utter commitment this is what God is saying to the church at Ephesus I'm not I'm looking for not only your deeds but total commitment for the mission at hand if Jesus would have been less than totally committed, we, none of us would have been saved. 
I want you to, I want to hear that. I want you to say that, hear that again. If Jesus was less than totally committed to his mission, he would have never got out of the Garden of Gethsemane. It was the only time in Scripture where Jesus struggled. It is the only time you will ever see Jesus having a hard time. He said it. He says, Father, not my will be done, but yours. Just let this cup pass from me. He was struggling. The Bible says as his sweat became as it was great drops of blood and he struggled mightily. But his heart was right. He loved you. And he loved me enough to keep it in mind. Enough to get it done. Enough to be totally committed knowing. Could you imagine having foreknowledge like he had? Knowing the bludgeoning that he was about to take? Knowing the crown of thorns that would sink deep into his skull? Knowing that the beating with the cat of nine tails that would nearly disembowel him and would leave the, the courtroom a bloody mess with his nearly his entrails falling out upon it? Could you imagine knowing every strike and every person that would, that would just, just beguile you in every way? Could you imagine he knew that his beard was going to get pulled out by the roots? That's what the Scripture says in the prophecies. He knew that he was going to be hung upon a cross with nine inch spikes driven through his hands and through his feet. He had a foreknowledge of that. He had a foreknowledge of hanging there on the cross for hours. Watching people walk around him that did not love him nor care. Nor did they understand what great thing that he was doing for them at that moment. Brothers and sisters, do you know the kind of love that took? He loves you tremendously. More than you can ever know. More than you can ever replicate. But we have got to live in that love of God. This was his problem that he had with the, the church in Ephesus. He had a serious problem with this. When Jesus says that he went right here, he says, I know thy works and thy labor. Let me tell you something. Works and labor is two very different things. You go to work and you spend your time at work and you do your work from nine to five. That's it. But labor is something different. It took the labor to, to, to build this church going above and beyond. It's intense. It's meaningful. It's planned. It's devotion. It's love. It's labor. He said, I know your works. I know what you do. And I know your labor. Two very different things. You go in the field and you work. But nobody likes to work. Have you ever heard the, the, the term labor of love? Labor is a completely different thing. It comes from the heart. It pushes you onward to do and be what God wants you to do and be. He looks at the church and says, I know your works. And take a minute and I want you to think about that. He knows your thoughts. He knows every single soul that has ever walked the aisles of this church right here. Every single soul has been baptized, born again. How you handled every detail of his business. And most of all, did you do it in the love of God? He knows every person that's ever done anything in this church and why you do it. He knows every shovel that's been put in the ground and every blade of grass that's been cut in His name. He knows every weed whip that's been fired up and everything that's been pursued all to try to promote the kingdom of God. He knows. He knows. He knows. God knows the sacrifices of this church that it has made uh, to, to, to exist. 
He knows the sacrifice of your time. And He knows the sacrifices that you've delved into for service to Him. He knows the time you gave coming to church while undoubtedly you had people at home going, why are you going there again? Haven't you had enough? Come on, let's just be honest. For those of you who don't know me, I'm a reality preacher. I don't pat you on the back. I preach the Word of God. And I'm going to tell you how it is. And that's just how I am. I give what God gives and that's it. And we all have them, right? There's all them people that the caged animal is really at home. It's not who we brought with us today. But we've all been there. You'll have naysayers and people trying to control you to stop you from doing what you'll have a career that will say, hey, listen, you can't do that today. You'll have a job that demands something from you. You'll have a spouse that demands something from you. You'll have a person saying, man, are you going to go to that revival again tonight? How much of God do you really need in your life? Come on, that's what really happens. Can I get an amen? One, two, three. Yes, that's what happens in life. God knows. God knows. God knows. God knows. He knows the dedication of pastors. Sunday school teachers, ushers, board members, the tech crew back there. Trust me, church. He knows. And He's written it down. He knows how we handle His affairs. He knows my study time, my prayer time. He knows whether I've come ready to preach and prepare the Gospel for you that He has given me. This isn't from me. This is from Him. I'll guarantee you one thing, and you can ask my wife, every sermon that I ever preach is birthed in prayer and asking and seeking God. Never will you get the sermon of Jay. Never. Ever. I give you my hand. And covenant with you. That for as long as God gives me breath, you will get what heaven says. And what says the Word of God. However, He knows the other things too. The things we don't like to think about. He knows the other things. The people who have left this church over devilish things done or said. Over backbiting. Over whispering and gossip. He knows every single soul who was hurt and what was done in a closet outside the sight of man. He knows the secret you that nobody else knows. He knows. He knows every single part of you. You are not hiding anything. Nothing. I want you to understand this today. Because when the invitation is given, I want this to be ringing in your ears, church. That yes, He loves you, but He has an expectation for us all. Yeah. And He knows your thoughts. And He knows every word you've ever spoken. The issue Jesus has with the Ephesian church that is about to eliminate their existence unless they fix it is everywhere today. The loss of His love. Now there's something interesting that I want to point out to you about this. About 35 years before John penned this, the Apostle Paul wrote in the book of Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and love unto all the saints. So what happened? That was about 35 years before the Isle of Patmos. So what happened? 
What happened to this Ephesian church? What we are seeing in the Ephesian church were second generation Christians. These were second generation Ephesians. They had seen mom and dad get her done. And they don't necessarily want to go through that. They had a, an established church. The church at Ephesus was in a hub. I'm telling you, they were in the far eastern part of the Roman Empire and they were in a place where they really had a lot of freedom. They really wasn't watched over that much. They really wasn't oppressed all that much. And they had a lot of stuff going on. It was a, like a metropolis of its day. There was a lot there and they were very fortunate to be there. And mom and dad had got it done. And the church had built a nice big sanctuary. And they had put TVs up. And they had done everything that needed to be done. And they went into cruise control. Second generation always has more of a problem than the first. Getting started takes a lot of fervor and a lot of love and a lot of labor. But when we see my kids, y'all have heard you know, about pastor's kids. Well, thank God Jess has got some good kids, but let me tell you something. A lot of pastor's kids are hellions to say the least. Because they see the worst of the church. They get behind the scenes. They see the sacrifices mom and dad makes. They see the money given. They see the time given. They see the health given. They see everything they see given and nothing in return. No love in return and typically persecution of some kind. And they don't want to do that. Come on, let's be real. Come on. Somebody be real with me. That's how it really is. That's how it really is. But I want to know, when we move on here and we keep moving forward, we want everybody to stick together because everybody works in the love of God. So the next question is, what happened? Though they retain purity, as Jesus begins to speak in the first half of the book of, of, of Revelations here in chapter 2, they had, they had retained purity of doctrine, had maintained a high level of service. They were lacking, but they were lacking deep devotion to Christ. They were just doing it. And he was so upset at that, he said, I'm going to take you off the face of the earth unless you fix that. Your mommy and daddy did the work. Now it's time for you to as well. That's what he was saying to this church of Ephesus, brother. Second generation coming along. We, we have evidence of it. The Apostle Paul says so in the book of Ephesus. You read it. The Scripture always rightly divides itself. He says they, they were commended for their great love. And Jesus is saying they ain't got none now. 35 years later, they're lacking it. What happened? I'm going to tell you what happened. The pandemic of the slowdown, the fainting. They kept it going. They were doing a good job. The church world today needs this message and needs this warning that orthodoxy and service is just not enough. Let me say that again. Orthodoxy and service is just not enough. You being here is just not enough. He wants you. He wants your love and devotion. He wants you to do what you do because you love Him with all your heart. And listen, this is the good thing. When you do that, it will radically change your life. 
You will find a peace you've never known. You will find a love you've never known. You will find joy you've never known. You will find the purpose of your existence that you've never known. You see this one man going, we got a brother coming here today to give a check in honor of one man who had the love of God in his heart to do something for people. What if the whole church operated like that? What if every single person operated like that? What if every single person gave of their talents and of their efforts instead of per pursuing selfish, selfish goals and gave to God? What kind of a country would we build? What kind of a, of a, of a county would we build? What kind of a place would we build right here, right now in this Big Woods church, brother? If you lived for love of God, and me. And me. Oh, I don't want to be looked at. I, yes, I have a degree in theology and biblical studies, but I'm a God-called preacher. It's not good enough to know. Love isn't in word, it's in deed. It's in what you do. It's defined by building Ramps for people that can't get in their home. What made you do that, brother? Because I love God. And God, His love for you is running through me rampantly. What kind of place would this place be if everybody loved like that and we loved in service? What This church would grow enormously because people want to come where the love of God is at. This church has that. Do not lose it. I've been in stone cold churches. I've preached all across the several states in the United States on the eastern side of the Mississippi. And let me tell you something, there are stone cold churches where people hate each other because you're sitting in their pew. Queen bees that sit in the back and have nothing better to do than to condemn the preaching and make everybody feel terrible. Don't be like that. If you want the trueness of the Gospel and what God has to offer in your life, love God first and foremost. Listen. They had walked away from the previous generation's work. What began the church and all of its accolades has been lost. And the church was found to be in a backslidden condition. Even though they were doing everything right, the church was backslidden in heart. You know, there's a lot of people that's been a Christian for a long time that absolutely matters nothing. I've always said there is absolutely, absolutely no hierarchy when it comes to how long you've been a Christian. I've, I've known people that's been Christians and I'm telling you, my wife can attest to this. I've known people that's been Christians for 50 years and are just as much a baby as when they first got saved. Because they did not pursue Christ it's up to you. How much do you want to know? How far do you want to go? How deep do you want to be in, in Jesus? Man, I want all I can get. I want, you know, for people like Angie Baker, it takes more than babes to pray. For a person that's got the cancer, brother, it takes more than a baby to pray. For a person that's having a hard time in their life or struggling in their marriage, it takes more than a baby to do that. It takes a grown-up 
who understands the love of God and can share it and effectively communicate it in behalf of others. So for your sake and mine, let's grow up and get up and get moving for Jesus Christ. Because I'm telling you, if you ain't got a need right now, get ready. One's coming. Look at this. Matthew chapter 10, verse 37, we're instructed to love Him more above anybody. Above father, son, mother, or daughter. That's Matthew chapter 10, verse 37. He's recommunicating this to this church at Ephesus. We're being told we have to love God, number one, above even your family. Wow, how is that? You know, we get this in our carnal mind and we say, man, Pastor Jay, you're a, you're a Jesus freak. Amen. I don't, listen, because I put God above my family doesn't mean I love them less. I love them more because I'm loving them with God's love. Thank God. If you want a successful marriage, you want to know why nearly the statistic today, every person that gets married gets divorced. To the chagrin of every pastor and every preacher that has them walk the aisle. There's two things that's a terrible thing to do, and I'm just going to be honest with you, and that's preach a funeral and do a, and do a wedding. Amen, Brother Jess? Because people typically enter into that covenant relationship without understanding what covenant is. They don't love God, and so therefore God really isn't a part of that. And if you can't hack it, get your jacket. That's the way that it goes. It's my way or the highway. Like it or lump it. That's the typical kind of mindset between married people. It takes the love of God to solidify a marriage. That's why you don't see a lot of people being married 40 and 50 years. Because the love of God ain't in it. It's selfishness. And what can you do for me? And maybe I'll do the same for you. Maybe. Now I'm just preaching truth to you, church. I'm just preaching that. In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 32-35, through 35, we are told to love Him and put Him above even our mate. Tammy knows I love her with all of my heart, my soul, my mind, and my strength, but I love God more. Which makes me a better husband. And I can do better. And I can be better. Because I have a fallen nature. And I have a, a, a problem with sin just like you. But the only way I can be better for her is to be a better man of God. To be a better dad to my children and a better grandfather to my grandchildren. I must be a better man of God operating in the love of Jesus Christ. Remember Mary and Martha? This story is absolutely applicable to this. In Luke 10, 38-42, it very much applies. Martha was so busy working for the Lord, she didn't have time to love Him. She was so busy working for the Lord, she did not have time to love Jesus. And she was so sick of Mary sitting there listening to the Lord, He said, I'm not going to take that away from her. That's the most important part. Solidifying and also reiterating what He said to the church at Ephesus. The same Lord, the same today, the same yesterday, and forevermore. You can take His Word to the bank, church. He said, I'm not going to take the love that she has to listen to me talk. You're busy working. You're busy doing your thing. You're too busy 
to love me. Wow. Man, I love the Word of God. You know how much I love the Word? It just brings my bones life within me. Clearly, Jesus is more concerned with what you do with Him than what you do for Him. What are you doing with Him? Is the question I ask the church today. The same thing that Jesus asked the church at Ephesus. If you don't fix the way you're dealing with me, if you don't fix your heart problem for all the good deeds you've done, I will wipe you off the planet. In the 14th century, the church at Ephesus ceased to exist. What a shame. The area began to erode. Morality and immorality became tolerable. And when the church becomes tolerable of immorality and alternative lifestyles, you are lowering the standards of Jesus Christ. Gone forever. A once burning bright light. When He says, I will remove your lampstand, that means I will extinguish your light in the world. Brothers and sisters, stand with me. Interesting note to the public in Ephesus. They were a successful church. But to Jesus, they were backslidden. His counsel to them and to us is this, to remember, to repent, and to repeat the first works. The first works of loving people who did a great job in love and labor to give us what we have. Is the next generation going to stand with me? Are you going to be here? Or are you going to fail? Are we going to try to exist on the works of our forefathers and not put the harness on our neck and move with Jesus? If a church isn't operating in the love of God, its lampstand will be removed. Make no mistake about it. I am glad that this church is full of loving people. We held hands around Angie's house. And the love of God could be felt from heart to heart to heart. As people come out and stood there in love of God, in concern for a sister. I love every one of you. I can say that even though I don't know you. Because the love of God is in me. And the Scripture says, we love Him because He first loved us. I tell you, I would lay my life down for any of you. Because of He that's in me. Not because I am anything. And Jess would say the same thing. We love the church right here because of the love of God that's in us. Not because of the love of man. I care about the families that's here because of the love of God. I care about whether you go to heaven or hell because of the love of God. And the reality of its existence. Now it's up to you. It's up to you. As he sings, would you come? Please come. I believe you are. Is there anybody that would come?
If God's moving on you, please, in Jesus' name. Anybody at all want to come this morning?